the low success rate of deprogramming is often due to the fact that people in the cult have already told you that other people will try to convince you that they're wrong. They're going to say this. They're going to say that. So when they do say this and that or try and make you believe the stuff they told you, it's going to reinforce your belief that the cult leader was right. The fake he news said play. they would try and yeah. get me out. He said they would do this. They told me and if, now I was, they're doing it. if I was ever in a van and then taken to a motel that this will be a test. That's their technique. Yeah, it's a test, yeah. whatever. And so it often reinforces. Wow. And so they go back because they just go, oh, I didn't believe before, but now I do. They predicted exactly what was going to happen to me it's and what was insidious. said. It's insidious. Yeah. That is author and podcaster Joe Thornley, and this is episode 281 of the Osher Ginsberg Podcast. Welcome to the Osher Ginsberg Podcast. I'm Osher Ginsberg. Thank you so much for being here. This is episode 281 of the show with author and podcaster Joe Thornley. You can find her on Twitter, J-O-T-H-O-R-N-E-L-Y. More about Joe in a moment. If you're new to the podcast, I'll tell you what it is. Uh, for a start, I'm Osher. I uh, work on TV sometimes. Sometimes I count roses on TV. Sometimes I write books. Sometimes I ride my bicycle. Uh, this podcast is a conversation. It's a conversation you get to be a part of that is designed to hopefully help you make today a little bit better than yesterday. Something that you'll hear in the next hour and a bit will make you go, oh, that's it. You're going to make that noise wherever you are in the world. And there's my dog. He's barking. He he visits occasionally in this show. Thank you very much to everyone that came out to the shows last weekend. It was super great to close out the tour in such a fine way on the Gold Coast. We played uh, a tour in the thing called the Spiegel Tent, which is German for it's Miro Tent. Uh, that's a terrible German accent. Um, but, yeah, this, the Spiegel Tent is extraordinary in that it was these identical buildings that existed in um, – uh, they look, it's all over the country at the moment. We went to Canberra, Wollongong, and the Gold Coast, but inside it looks exactly the same. Outside's completely different. So it's super weird. We arrived to the one in Canberra, which is the first one we went to, and we figured out how to get in and out. And then we got to Wollongong, we kept going out the wrong door because in Canberra, the same door was a different door. Anyway, it was super weird. But it was excellent. The Gold Coast show was great. Chloe and Matt got up on stage, helped us out. It was an absolute cracker. It felt incredible to have played so many shows to packed houses right around the country to get on stage and share some stories and sing some songs, to meet everyone afterwards, to connect with so many people across the land, to feel like we really are all in this together. It was just superb. The amount of people that when we did come to meeting people at the end of the shows, the amount of people who look and sound and are from nowhere anything like me who got to the front of the line and just said, you just told my story. It's just incredible. It's just incredible. Um, I wrote about this in the book that I thought I was a special snowflake, but it turns out I'm not. Yeah, to think that I have a similar journey to someone who lives in Canberra, who's different gender, different age, different upbringing to me, to someone who lives in the Gold Coast, Brisbane or Melbourne or whatever, it's freaking incredible. 
I'm super grateful that everyone that made the show happen. It didn't happen by itself. Zoe Norton Lodge, who co-wrote and directed it. Mike Mills, who made all the epic music. And Rachel Barrett, who produced the shit out of the whole thing. Um, Rachel actually got a cheer a couple of times when I called her out on stage. And um, people in the crowd recognized her name from the podcast. She was stoked. That was great. Um, we might refund them the show. You never know. But as of now, there's no more shows booked. That's it. Uh, at this point, this is the problem with catching planes with your producer. At this point... We're planning show 2.0, <laughs> much to my wife's chagrin. She's having a nap on the couch now. I hope she didn't hear me say that. Um, thank you very much to everyone that reached out through the week. Thanks for listening uh, to the check-ins that I'm doing every Friday now. Don't forget to get your questions in on Instagram. Uh, just leave a voice note there. Hold down the uh, voice button in the DMs, the little microphone button, and leave me a message. They're very short, though, so be quick or leave two. And also, thank you very much for everybody that uh, left a review and a rating on iTunes. It really helps us here at the show. In fact, aside from telling anyone or someone around the, about the podcast, it's really the best thing you can possibly do uh, is to leave a review and a rating and subscribe to the show because what that does, it just it helps the um, iTunes charts work out how many people are listening and, and the engagement that we have. And when it comes time to booking guests and they go, well, where are you on the iTunes charts? We get to go see and that helps us get the bigger guests. So... You want a better show? Help me out. <laughs> Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. So let me tell you about my guest today, Joe Thornley is a author and a podcaster from Sydney, Australia. Uh, you can find her on Twitter. Joe's a rabid live tweeter of The Bachelor in all of its forms, and Joe's also utterly fascinated by cults. Yeah, cults. You know what cults are. Her book and her podcast of the same name uh, called Zealot. The uh, book's out now. podcast is out now. An incredibly interesting exploration into what makes people believe things that really, really are not real, but believe them so much that they will do and have done many, many awful, awful, awful things. It's a fascinating conversation. I can't wait for you to hear it. And what's particularly interesting is that when I looked at this conversation through the lens of what makes people believe things that aren't real, like climate change deniers, Holocaust deniers, anti-vax 
people. The parallels are so strong. I'd encourage you to consider how she describes the way people get hooked and then trapped into that kind of belief thinking um, that involves, that is, occurs in cults and how that thinking can also happen outside of a cult. Uh, Joe's book, Zealot, is out wherever you buy books. It's grim, it's real, but it's also darkly, darkly funny. She is a very, very funny person. Enjoy this conversation with Joe Thornley. Thanks for coming, Thornley. Thanks. thanks. Nice to have you here. Nice to be here. Thanks for writing this book. Oh, that was fun. Well, I mean, bits of it were desperately unfun, but... It's... Before we get into it, I, I, I do want to cover off that. Uh, just firstly, I'm just thrilled you're in my house because I, <laughs> I sit on that couch right behind you and I tweet on this laptop right here when The Bachelor's on and I am just such a fan of your Bachelor tweets. <laughs> it's, they're way more fun than the recaps because the recaps, like, they've got a deadline and, and I've, I've probably stopped doing the recapping now because I think 11 years is long enough for recapping reality shows. Right. But I'm not going to stop the tweeting. It's just the greatest thing to tweet along with. It is, isn't it? It's made for it. It's It's made for it. Everyone's got their eyes on screen at the same time. It's one of the narrowing pool of free-to-air shows that are those things where everyone sets their clock and they watch all at the same time. There's, you know, you're not doing catch-up because you'll miss out. Yeah, and I think that's the part that I, I especially love Mm. is that yeah, you can do catch-up, but then you miss out on the group chats. Yep. Yeah, like it kind of goes from like maybe a Facebook Messenger or, a, or maybe just a text chat, then to a Facebook Messenger, then to maybe a larger WhatsApp yeah. group, maybe then a Facebook group, and then on a grand scale, it's the Twitter. Plus, everyone's, I mean, there's some, you know, Australia's next top model, they're young girls and they're trying to make it in a job and there's a lot of body issues and that sort of thing. The Biggest Loser, which I've recapped before, they're people that are sincerely making a change in their life. And Bachelor and Bachelorette, even though love's important and two people, it's ostensibly not enough about the real thing until the end that in the early stages you feel fine. You feel fine making comments. I do have a general policy in life, which I haven't always, but I developed it because you learn a lot, that... Comments about appearances, no. Comments about choices people have made, hell yes. True. Mm. And I think that's a safe space to because ultimately we're reflecting on would we have made that choice. Yes. Um, Which is interesting. I was at this this gig last night. Was it all about women? Yeah, Yeah. at the Sydney Opera House and I'm on on stage with um, Von Padiag. Edwina Throsby, who's the um, head of Talks of Ideas at Sydney Opera House, and Clementine Ford, mm. and like two and a half thousand people, of which there's probably about 15 blokes and me. Yeah. Uh, it was an extraordinary night. It was really, really brilliant. And someone did ask about, you know, you know, because we were ta- there to talk mm. about toxic masculinity. I was really grateful to be there. Yeah. And we got to have a great conversation. Good choice. It's always such a well-curated festival. Oh, yeah. Mm. yeah. And it was. I felt really honoured that I was, you know, asked to be a part of it. And it's kind of fascinating, you know, talking about, you know, someone puts their hands up and go, you know, how do I reconcile watching, being a feminist and watching this show? And I'm like, well, just, you know, people have agency, you yeah. know, they, you know, they, people choose to do things in their lives. And the thing that that's the thing that makes it so extraordinary about reality TV shows is that 
we have this lens of, oh, I would never do that or I would never say that. And here's this person who's doing and saying things that you would never imagine, mm. right? But because it's so far from what you would do, you've got to believe it's scripted. But I'm here to tell you, it's not. Absolutely. I worked in TV for a decade and just I was amazed at some things that were scripted and some things that weren't. And But it's... At one point I had the producers from Farm Wants a Wife sitting behind me during the um, the recruitment process. I like to say recruitment instead of casting. And just the questions they would ask. And they find as long as they find the characters that they're after, the rest, I mean, you need so little soft scripting because the people will just make better drama than than any script, which is one of the reasons I like true story, true mm. crime and stuff because yeah. you could not make it up. And, and, and the, I've heard, uh, you know, well, definitely it's why I love Survivor. Hmm. I never got into Survivor. <sighs> I know, I know, I know. It's the greatest game ever invented by humans. As I understand. Think of it, I like to describe it like this. Think of it as the hardest, longest chess game you've ever tried to play. Oh, get ready for the face again. I've never... All right, the hardest, longest, <laughs> the hardest, longest chess game you've, you've ever tried to play with the toughest day-long CrossFit class <laughs> that you could possibly attempt at the same time while doing a survival camp that would make Bear grills flinch. And mosquitoes. And mosquitoes, like, and for 56 days. Yeah, no. It is extraordinary, the, the head game, the mental game, the way people – and with, with the diplomacy of a climate conference, yeah. right? It is extraordinary how how you have to play it from day one. I think because it's always been on after some other reality shows that I have watched. And you're burned out? I'm burnt out. Oh. I know because I've always thought I would be such a survivor person. Not to be on the show. I'm a complete. Get on it. Sort of. Well, not a princess, but. Yeah. Really get on it. Get on it. Because just the way that you see, if you love people if you love reality television where people make choices and you go, mm. oh, that's, how's that going to play out? I don't think there's a show where the consequences are as impactful mm. as Survivor. And being on your guard the whole time, it's like being a teenage girl at high school. You are constantly looking out for people who might be bitching or plotting behind your back. But that 24-7 without the safe harbour of your friends, wow. And then, um, you know, then cuddling them at night. Yeah. Great muscle definition, though. There's a lot of that. Yeah. Well, yeah, I don't know how Eventually. many calories a day they're on. They're on a lot, a lot of calories. I think there was a few episodes, a few seasons of the US one where they went, oh, no, no, you just have to find your own food. And they got into a bit of trouble no. with like, oh, no, no, okay, well, we're going to have to make them drink water. There was a couple where they, they figured it out. The US had 38 seasons. Yeah, I think drinking water, that's kind of the, it's the yeah. baseline, isn't it? Well, truly. But yeah. I think that was a part of the, you know, this is as real as it real can get. Um, but it's a freaking amazing show. Yeah. As far as watching humans interact and if you want to learn about how, you know, I'd be shit at it because I can't lie. I can't either. Well, I don't lie. I've chosen, I saw myself getting good at it uh-huh. uh, and then I thought, and but I felt awful right. for months after after one lie. Um, so I just thought, let's just cut it out. I, I, you know, if I need to get out of something, I have a manager that will help me get out of it. Ugh. I can't go, Luxury. oh, yeah. got a thing, can't do it, sorry. Yeah. You know, they, so they'll, you know. Well, if I do another project, which I'd like to, it will be about the mechanics of lying and uh, manipulation and that sort of stuff yeah. and with some case studies because I just... 
Like the whole Belle Gibson story, fascinating, the way she did it. And these aren't people that are master manipulators. They just learn early and then develop their craft. Mm. It's, I find it, and with the cults and everything, that's a massive part of it. Yes. And I'm fascinated with lying. And I think those things like Survivor, where you get to see how people act and then how they think Mm -hmm. in the background and they're often at odds with each other, you're watching people craft a bit of manipulation or a bit of subterfuge and it's fascinating. And it helps us kind of, I guess, observe society in a different way and that's why it's such a great show, why I love it, because then you kind of look at, oh, that's doing that person doing that thing that Jenny did on the thing. Ah." And I've probably taken the obsession a bit far because I... Once I started thinking about that, I was looking back at one ex-boyfriend in particular who first represented as separated but then was clearly married. And I i mean, it, it wasn't messy. It lasted for a little while but probably longer than I should be proud of but then it was done. And now I look back on it. And I look at the lying that happened, less to me because I'm not going to be aware of all of those, but that he was doing to other people. And I can do it, I do eventually just switch my feelings off with most things. And so now that I don't have feelings for him anymore, I'm looking at the structure of them in a fairly sort of analytical way rather Mm. than now that it doesn't affect me emotionally anymore. And it's really interesting. I'm fascinated with that. Like the amount of like how do you keep those plates spinning on this? Like you hear about guys who have a a, a family in Sydney and a family in Adelaide who believe that they are the only, that he will go between the two away on his work. I have no respect for liars, but I do for their work ethic. How the fuck can you do that? That's, How do you remember who's who? That's How do you right. not call one kid the wrong name? Do you name the kids <laughs> the same names to avoid confusion? Do you find women that are the same name? Like, how do you keep track of it all? Because even the simplest white lie, like an excuse for go- not going to, say, a party you don't yeah. want to go to, yeah. remembering the excuse you've given that person for that really benign mm non-damaging lie, how do you remember and not fuck it up later? Oh, yeah. And then just implode your relationship three years later. You said you. Yeah. (gasps) And that's the thing because the effect it has, the feeling when you have been lied to is not the feeling that the liar intended. Mm. And which is why I've always said to people, blokes I'm involved with mostly, the truth is not going to hurt me as much as feeling like you're not being honest. Mm. Betrayal is the worst. Yeah. But I am a demanding bitch in relationships, so that's the least of <laughs> Well, I just, I, I personally, I can't wait to see what you think of Bachelor in Paradise, which uh, is coming very, very soon, I. if not out already. Uh, we've already shot it. It's, man. And there's been a bit of socials. In the last week, that's... Oh, yeah, we're starting to let people know who's going to be there. I told some people that I was coming here today. Yeah. And the only thing they want... They weren't interested in the fact that I was coming here to talk about stuff at all. They were like, ask him this, ask him that. (laughs) I can't tell you anything. I know. I can't tell you anything. And and we're shooting a new batch and 
and your batch is great. Yeah, Good choice. Like that's a really the arc of the personalities and and even the professions over the numerous series. It's great. Again, because I've worked on. Did you know I worked on Idol as well? Oh, really? Which season? Uh, every uh, from the end of four onwards. What did you do? There? I do music licensing, so that's my ah. day job. Wow. Okay. So let's let's explain that because G's obsessed with Dynasty on Netflix at the moment, and I'm being in the kitchen making something. I'm like, how the fuck did they afford that song? Like, yeah. the, the music industry has changed so much that now a Netflix production or whatever can afford like these fuck off number ones. The, one of the tricks though is where you where you make the show. So if you're making it in Australia, the laws are slightly different. That's a problem with copyright as well. It's yeah. like the English language. Here's the rule, except for when this, this, yeah, this, yeah, this. Yeah. And oh, I always used, especially when talking to TV producers, you have to use lots of analogies mm. um, and examples. And I would use the example because, I mean, people just hate how much it costs to clear something. And so any song by The Who, now because all the CSI franchises have used a different song by The Who. Now you don't, you know, you'd hear a Who song and you used to think like Pete Townsend windmill. You would, that would mm. what it would evoke. Now you hear one and you think blunt force trauma to the occipital lobe, mm-hmm. you know, at the Tangiers. So by using a song and if you approve a song, you're taking the risk that that's going to ruin the value of that song for any other use at all. Mm. People won't use The Who because it will make people think of murder. Mm. So you can't use it to advertise toothpaste or in your show about... If it was used in The Bachelor, people would mm. go, why, is someone about to get murdered? Mm. So you, can't do a, you can't do an ad about child car seats in the back using stuck in the middle with you because all people will think of is like you're going to remove a a hostage's ear with a razor blade because you've watched Reservoir Dogs. Yeah. Uh, Yeah. So that's a great gig. But also Michael Madsen. Um, I love him. Uh, Yeah. So you really, yeah. That's such a heavy scene. (laughs) Torture you. But. That's a good idea. There is someone who absolutely understands um, the power of music licensing. Tarantino. Oh, completely. Yeah. But also for the quirky, the power mm. of using something that doesn't suit the scene because mm. so many, I mean, you know, everyone's done it and he himself, you mm. know, admits he's derivative in a lot of ways, sorry, inspired by. Mm. But he knows that that clash and that discomfort of using you know, Steeler's Wheel mm. for an ear-chopping scene will, A, make it super memorable, but B, just make people, it gets with a metal blade mm. straight into your brain Yeah, because you're uncomfortable and it's jolly. Yeah. It doesn't fit. Yeah, yeah. Uh, he famously, I, I asked him, I was so lucky, the life that I've led. <laughs> I was at a party and he was there and I, I said, how do you do it, man? Do you? And he goes, man, I just I got a stack of forty five yeah. singles at home, and I just go flick, flick, flick. Oh yeah, flick, flick, flick. That's perfect. Flick, flick, flick. That's the one. And he just uses forty, he, and then he hands his forty five records to his music yeah. playing person like you. Yeah. And then they go, all right, let's go. And that's whenever I was asked to pitch for anything because I've worked at both a music publisher and on the other side for TV production company, and now 
for APRA AMCOS who sort of oversee a whole lot of music copyright mm. and licensing. But when I was at the music publisher and you'd be asked to suggest tracks, my first run would always just be my favourite stuff. And I've got, like I used to work in music retail as well, so mm. I've got a broad taste, mm. no favourite genre. So I would just pick my favourites and I just wanted to place one of my favourites. I think I submitted some for Happy Feet and I didn't make it. <laughs> the um, And what's interesting now, I mean, we're here to talk about cults, but I find mm. it fascinating that as a musician, you don't make any money off selling. You don't sell units anymore. That's gone, mm. over, you know, gone forever. You've got to make money off your concert tickets. You're going to make money off your merchandise that you sell their concert tickets, but you have to split that with your yep. record company because people got 360 deals now. Where you make your money, the Hyundai ad. Mm. That's where you make your money. That's how you buy. That's how Dio's Holy Diver gets on a Hyundai ad. Yeah, and it's why everyone's classic example, the Moby Play album, which he just said, license it, license it for everything. I want to see this everywhere. And then didn't didn't agree to have any subsequent tracks uh, available for licensing. So he made a bunch of money and then just decided, no, that's it. That was my experiment. So, you know, 90s or early, I can't early remember. 2000s, when it was early 2000s. Yeah, early 2000. Yeah. Every mobile phone ad had that song. Yeah. 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 And he just, he said to his publishing company, just license the shit out of play. Put it everywhere. Yeah. That's smart. Full on. Yeah. It's it's an extraordinary time to to do that job because mm. that's the revenue. That's really it. That's and nineties, I see my. I'm sure everyone says this about the decades that they did certain things. But being a teenager in the eighties mm. and working in music in the nineties, just I feel so lucky there. Partly because eighties, I got to see if not the birth, then absolutely the development of hip-hop and dance music. Mm -hmm. And 90s working in music retail, just the whole Seattle scene and everything there mm. exploding. And even though because I was music retail I got absolutely sick of it, Alanis Morissette, Jagged Little Pill, the effect, I don't know, the change that had on everything. Mm. And I was at art school at the time as well, so I was so much of a wanker that I could look down my nose at Alanis. Uh -huh. But now I just look back and I go, you legend. Yes. Yeah. It wasn't her writing. <laughs> a better girl. Um, I hope you have this podcast appropriately licensed. <laughs> How many bars can we get away with? You can't, that's a myth. Yeah? If it's recognisable, it's licensable. Oh. Yeah. So no one, uh, I'm a celebrity, get me out of here. And Jay Guy was there two years ago. I just had to keep coming over the PA going, Jay, you, can't, yeah. you cannot sing anything, Jay. You cannot sing a fucking thing. Like, and he'd been, you know, Lion King and he'd done everything. And he's just, all he does is sing his day. So you can't sing any, you can't even sing it as a melody. You can't even replace the words, I'm going to go to the shower now. In fact, that now. makes it worse. Yeah. You get lyric changes. I used to, Grant Denyer would always break out into song on Family Feud and they'd stop it. They'd go, call Joe, get a, get a quote. So I'd get this, because that was a fairly fast turnaround as well. So they'd call me, tell me what he sang and the context in which he sang it, and I'd see if we could get it cleared. What? Great fun. What? Yeah. That yeah. is rad. <laughs> what a gig. Okay, so how do you, as someone who is just lives and breathes music licensing, how do you then go, yeah, cults, <laughs> that's good. Let's write a book. I think... Okay, I've always been a true crime person and 
I, why? Why true crime? I don't know, and I have thought about it, and I've asked everybody, and I can only think of bad answers. And one is white middle class privilege because I have the luxury of being in, interested in horrible stories without having been subjected to many of them myself. But I think it's partly that obsession with lying and manipulation of covering up, and I do love it when they get caught. I don't like the unsolved ones because that leaves you feeling like, you know, a Tarantino, well-music-licensed, jaunty murder scene. It doesn't sit well. Mm. So I used to really like murder stories and I still don't mind one, but it's it went to cults because the stories are weirder. There's two lots of sort of psychological profiles happening. Mm-hmm. The leader, which is almost always, you know, um, narcissistic personality disorder and sociopathy and stuff. And then the followers who are absolutely human and just want a bit more. And I think the only thing that a lot of them really have in common, because there's, I mean, anyone can be a cult member really, is the fact that they think someone else can do a better job of improving them or the world or how they understand God or whatever than they can. So it's just, it's less faith in the concept or the dogma and it's more faith in someone else to give them what they're missing. Mm. And I think there's nothing about the cult stories I don't like because the leader will be born into certain circumstances, have whatever childhood they have and the parents something's going to happen along the line to make them think power or exploitation or being adored is a great idea and then they offer something good and manipulate people into doing truly bizarre things. And so it's every part of that story that I find Mm. irresistible. And you're right. A cult leader is just a person saying they're the messiah until mm. they have someone that believes them. But they need it's a particular kind of person that they target. Mm. And cult leaders are lazy because there's there's so many other ways that you can be respected or admired or achieve power. But they go, oh, I'm just going to bullshit a bit. Or a lot. Yeah, and make myself part of the religion's origin story so that it's always going to be me that's the leader. Uh, you know, leader won't be, leadership won't be transferred. Yeah. It's got to be me. Sorry, try and licence that. It's okay. There seems to be a line. There seems to be a line where we go, no, that's a religion. No, that's a... That's an orthodox version of that religion. That's an ultra-orthodox mm. version of that religion. Oh, those guys, they are a sect. They are an extreme sect of that religion. And then, boom, now it's a cult. Can we talk about how do you even – where does that sliding scale go? Like how do you even begin to define what is a cult? Like where does the, where does the crossover happen? All right. Well, let's play a game. <laughs> if – and I'm only using Catholicism as an example because it's, I mean, I wasn't, I'm not Catholic, but it's a relative, I'm fairly familiar with it. And it's, enough, well. it's in enough popular culture that people yeah, will understand that's right. the kind of things that are agreed upon as a truth that's if you right. are a believer. I could use lots of other mainstream religions as an example. 
but you've got a lot of people that are believers in that religion. Then you have a group of people who are the nuns and the priests who are employees, let's say, of that religion, and then you will have a tiny group with one leader at the very top. In a cult, that's often a similar structure as well. And at some point, you're just a follower of a religion. But the closer you get to the top, it's really, really hard to define a cult without also describing a mainstream religion. If you think of priests and nuns who don't always wear what they want, they can't have sex with whoever they like, theoretically. Um, A lot of times their food is restricted. Yeah, where they live, the rituals they undergo every day. Less so, and this is one of the criteria that I do think is just cult and not religion, they don't necessarily believe that something horrible will befall them if they leave. And they don't they don't earn you know, their income is not their own. They work, they volunteer. Mm. And there's so many similarities with that and a cult member that I think the reason anyone, and we're talking psychologists or religious theorists, sociologists, they've avoided actually defining what a cult is and it's basically whatever the theorists or obsessives opinion is at the time but I think control and fear of leaving uh, because you can't just say fear because Mm. most religions have a fear element so I think that's why it's scary and every religion was a cult at the beginning yeah yeah, but it's it's interesting. So there's 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 extreme sects of Judaism that exist in mm. um, in Jerusalem. I've been to the neighbourhoods. I've seen they they believe like they walk around like it's Poland in the 1600s, mm. you know. And if a person leaves, and I know someone who's left one of these sects, she would. That's it. She's dead to everyone she ever knew mm. and they put posters up all on the walls you know basically just smearing her name to everyone in that particular neighborhood and it was really 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 quite quite full on but why why do we why do we kick the doors in of cults and not you know some religions Joe? yeah well it's also like there's no law against being a cult because there's nothing you can pin down mm. as far as the definition is But there are – so a lot of cults that have been busted before they, you know, some of them do the big bad thing, whatever the big bad thing is. Yeah. They'll get – you know, some get busted for human sex trafficking or, you know, extortion or fraud because, I mean, a lot of people might look at someone who doesn't want to leave because they'll never speak – they'll be ostracised by the cult members and they go, well, so what? But if you think about the people that mean most to you in your life and then suddenly one minute you're not allowed to see them, talk to them or anything and they hate you, that's huge and it would be a massive motivator. So even though I forgot your question. <laughs> why, do we kick, why do we kick in the doors of cults and not some religions? It's, yeah. I guess it's a ultimately it comes down to what you're saying, which seems to be the defining line, is horrible things will happen to you 
that you are made to believe that horrible things will happen to you, but some horrible things may actually happen to you. People may actually come after mm. you if you actually do leave um, legally or physically, as we have seen with some, uh, I'm using air fingers, yeah. religions. Yeah. And that's really scary. Mm. Uh, you know, so maybe that's it. That's the the, the imprisonment uh, thing. You know, yeah. you know, you might be giving ninety percent of all your money to someone because you believe that they're going to make things better, or they're the divine mm. one, or whatever. There's no law against that. But if 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 your family members are gone, oh, we haven't seen Joe in nine months. Um, she calls herself Ezekiel now, and um, nice, nice. you know we're not. You know we're really worried about her well-being because I don't. She hasn't seen a doctor in a year or whatever. You know that's when you can. I guess you can start making some investigations. I, I don't know if there are some parts of you know religious life. You know from generally mainstream accepted religions where that goes on or not. Yeah, there well, the, I mean the conceptual imprisonment is a big part as well. So mm. it might just be you're going to hell if you leave, yeah. and if you've always been religious, then that. You might jump from religion to religion because each one has a more convincing argument mm. for keeping you out of hell. And that's often why when people do kick down the doors and why so-called deprogramming is often unsuccessful is that the person, if, if someone came to me, Joe slash Ezekiel, and tried to get me out of the out of Jezekiel. Oh, yes, changing my Twitter handle. Um I would say and believe that I meant it, that I want to stay, mm. even though I might be beaten up or, you know, put in solitary or whatever. Mm. I believe I want to stay because I'm so terrified of what will happen if I leave. Can we talk about the kind of people that find themselves in cults? What's some characteristics of a person that is targeted by a cult? It varies from cult to cult, but it's someone that is looking for something. So it's, it is often people with the time and to have that inquiring, seeking mind, which is why uni students have been so often a, a target because they're, they're there. And you know how annoying first-year uni students in any subject are, me included, where you think you know everything and you want to improve the world but you don't think anyone's done it right so far. And cult leaders are great at going, well, we are doing that. So they only have to pick the people, you know, the fuzzy Velcro parts that are going to respond to your hook and they will. And it's, I mean, some have used kind of self-help, a, a convincing psychological doctrine that actually is is based on sound theory and makes people feel better and will, up to a point, improve their lives. And others, like Jim Jones, dressed socialism up as religion in, you know, 1950s Indiana. So he was saying, segregation is bullshit, come here, everyone's welcome. He styled it on what was then traditional black church opened it up to everybody, provided employment help, uh, helped people get off alcohol and drugs. He won a humanitarian award. Um, and that's what those, you know, they were churchy folk who wanted a better world mm. and he just went, I can offer that. I'll, I'll pretend socialism is God. I want to. I, I do want to talk about the leaders in a second. I just want to kind of talk a little bit more about the people that might mm. be vulnerable in case there's anyone in anybody's life that are, they're, they're a little concerned about. If they suddenly meet someone, and go, oh, how, oh, mate, you look amazing. Yeah, I've been going to this 
this this study club every Wednesday with these really nice people. And uh, next week I'm going to their farm. Mm. It's uh, on the other side of Mount Isa. And um, that's a long way, but no, it's yeah. great. It's biodynamic and they all live there together. And, um, well, yeah, because I love the environment. We're going to make the world a better place and da-da-da-da-da. And initially people can be just enthralled at this idea. But they're, so they're basically they're looking for someone who's – are they looking for someone that's maybe perhaps a little directionless? They're looking for someone who will respond well to direction and command? Yes. Uh, that's – I did – there's a few questions I asked people to see to prove to them that they would be susceptible, which is basically just about everybody. Mm. And one of them is do you think it would be relaxing to remove 15% of the decisions out of your life? Even just what am I going to eat for dinner? What – you know, what's my five-year plan, What? who do I date, what do I like, why do I keep picking the wrong people? Getting those rid of those decisions would be so relaxing. And But they're a part of life and they're a part of being independent. So those kind of people, not necessarily directionless, but people who don't yet trust the decisions they make or can... They need a leader. And that's the thing. Nearly everybody does at some point in their life. It's just getting them at the right time. Mm-hmm. And I I used to be religious and I grew up. It was partly Sunday school was a place to get rid of three kids <laughs> just for one morning. Mm. My mum and dad are awesome. But their parents were kind of churchy. So, And the place I grew up, which was sort of the Bible Belt on the North Shore, not even North Shore, that sounds fancy. It was just... It was, wasn't beaches, it wasn't North Shore, it was just white bread. Great place to grow up but quite churchy. Mm. So everyone around me was Christian mm. and talked about it like it was just normal. Mm. I mean, you know, to a lot of people it is. And sent their kids to Sunday school so I'd see my mates from school there and it wasn't until I was late high school that I just thought, what if no... Mm. And it was a massive relief. And by then I'd been to the the happy, clappy, massive rock band up the front church and the pastor had put his hand on my forehead and saved me and I fell down. And so I was at that age and even though I was starting to ask questions and I was still totally interested in... um, evolution and science and facts and everything because my parents are awesome and they really, really like to engender that in us, I there's no way I wouldn't have fallen down at the front of that church. My brain was not going to let me, especially as a late teen, not fall down in front of a few hundred people. So take me through that because I've seen it on the, you know, when I used to do the midnight to dawn shift, you were mm. on the radio, uh, there was no internet, so we just watched TV mm. and you'd see all these American pastors with these incredible, huge, high production value churches with crane cameras and, and steady cams and incredible bands mm. and it, people would line up. And So what happened? I've never done that. What, what, what happens? So you stand there in line, you said, come up and what, what happens? Yeah, it's, it's like anyone that wants to be saved because there's the whole you're unsaved or you're saved and you just... It, Getting saved is asking Jesus into your heart, in this church anyway. I mean, there's yeah. different ways you can, obviously. Insert um, Jesus with whatever, yeah. you know, other and, deity you yeah. believe. And yes. all the like, ironically, all the kids at my high school that were into the music I liked, so um, 
the damned and yeah, the cult, for example. Yeah. <laughs> um, they were all churchgoers and they had the cool haircuts. And right. so it was just a, a fluke of my schooling, I think, that I was in an area where those were the cool guys. So you're in this room. There's, what, a thousand people in there? Yeah. Okay. Like, yeah, between 500 and 1,000. I don't so know. it's a big Heaps. room. Yeah. And there's a rock band up the front. Yeah. It's intoxicating. You like rock music. Totally. There's a band there. And there's people speaking in tongues as well during the service. So, and it just feels normal. I had never had, and it would piss me off because even though I ne- I've never wanted to be a follower, I also hate it when people have skills I don't. <laughs> so I just thought, okay, well, I've got to go up and get. And also just what you did. So you go up and you What's line speaking up. in tongues? It's when... When you're caught up in whatever the sermon or the song, um, and you've got your arms raised, and you it's you're speaking gobbledygook. It's and it's your overcome. The theory is that you're overcome with uh, Jesus' spirit. That it comes out, and I think there's different theories from religion to religion. Again, I was. I had teen jealousy of people that can do it, so I didn't go too much into the theory. But so there's people, arms up, heads back, eyes closed, just with streams of syllables coming out of their mouths. And we go up the front and take it in turns and the pastor, I can't, I might mean Pastor Chris, I don't know, puts his hand on each of you in turn. People uh, stand behind you and just sort of gently hold your elbows he says something about Christ I can't really remember and you fall down. And I was conscious when I fell down and it was kind of gentle and I, it was a half crouch for Did me. Did you feel anything? No. But you just saw the people in front of you doing it? Yeah. And, and by the time you get there? Yeah, and there's no, I think it's just, you know, the same, it's like a hypnosis and it's groupthink and... I realised afterwards, and this is also why I don't have, I certainly don't have any ill will towards any religions or think that anybody is a particular person because they believe and Mm. another person if they don't. I just thought, what if I hadn't have? Mm. And I thought, oh, that opportunity, that choice wasn't available. It's not not there. You fall down. So what's the difference between what, let's call him, let's change his name. Mm. Let's say what's the difference between Pastor Pete Mm. And Peter Powers, the on-stage clock-like-a-chicken hypnosis yeah. guy. It's not much difference. It's not it? much difference. It's everyone's in the room. Mm. Uh, and when you hear people afterwards, when they go, oh, yeah, I was just there, you know, I was at Twin Towns, you know, there was 1,500 people in the room and he told me to clock like a chicken and mm. I knew I was doing it, but I couldn't. I didn't really want to not do it and so I did it. Yeah. It's very similar, and isn't it? Absolutely. And that's what belief is great and we don't ascribe negative characteristics to the word belief but it's a tool that people use and if you're all in the same room I mean you take the tiniest clique in high school as an example and the fact I mean the fact that hypercolour was a thing is exactly the same process someone with authority tells you it's a thing or that you consider has authority Everyone around you is doing it. The people that aren't doing it kind of get teased or they're not in on the secret you have. Let's go buy some hypercolour. And you expand that into anything and it's 
company, you know, the company ethos mm. at anyone's large workplace has the same thing. Politics, of course, does. Advertising, of course, does. Any And my, my sister was asking me this morning, I can't remember which particular topic we were talking about, but she was saying, oh, are you saying that, you know, maybe company CEOs are technically cult leaders? And it's no, not at all. It's just that across the board everyone's using the same tools of groupthink and belief and if everyone around you thinks it, it's normal. So in some way people are to varying degrees exploiting the human being's inbuilt need to connect and conform with the tribe. Yes, or to not conform because, I mean, you know, I can think as much as I like. I don't want to be... I don't want to be mainstream. I don't want to do, you know, I, I don't want to have relationships like other people are. I don't want to get married. I don't want to do this. But that makes me a prime candidate because I'm going to be drawn towards anything or anyone that goes, hey, I think the same way and I've thought about it for a long time. Let's, you know, we're better than these bozos. Let's go change the world. Okay. <laughs> what, uh, what are some signs that you might you might be... I mean, I guess the thing about there's a difference between manipulation happens one-on-one mm. and it can ha- happen in intimate relationships, but a cult is when it's kind of more than one person, isn't it? A cult yeah. is when it's like a, f- a few. But I'm, I'm guessing the same kind of methods are used mm. to control someone. We've used – people call it mind control or brainwashing or something like that. What are some things to look out for that you might be like, oh, hang on a second, this might be a cult? I think a big one – and, again, you'll be able to go, oh, that happens in this circumstance and that circumstance as well, is implying that people that don't think that way are stupid or ignorant or, you know, they're blind sheep. Mm -hmm. That's a big one. So the whole Trump fake news thing, that's a technique that's used in cults because you narrow the, the breadth of sources that you want your followers to trust for information, which means you can control what they believe more. And a a test of loyalty, and that happens in some bad relationships, people will test your loyalty and you don't know you're being tested. And that's, I think that's a big one. If you are truly in this, you will insert requirements. Do this thing. Yeah. Yeah. Again, I mean, he's a classic and he's almost a cliche, but Jim Jones did practice runs with... um, with Flavor Aid and Kool Aid, he'd get everyone up the front, even when he was in church uh, before he left for Guyana, and say, "Drink, the- everyone, come up and drink this." And then he'd say to them, "That was poison," and he'd see how they reacted. And the people that went, "Okay, well, if Jim Jones says it is, it's fine," and others would freak out. And he would test loyalty and then punish the people that didn't trust him that it was fine to drink poison. Of course, it wasn't poisoned. Mm-hmm. Um, and even things. Heaven's Gate is another interesting one. Everyone knows the big suicide with the matching Nikes and um, waiting for the Hale-Bopp comet, which, and I can't mention Hale-Bopp without getting Mbop in my head, which is a problem. I saw Hanson last week. They were yeah. amazing. <laughs> mm. I'll tell the stories. You drop the names. Yeah. Um, and they, to prove that they were at an evolutionary level above human, which is what they called it because they were not good at marketing, snappy marketing. 
um, it's much more interesting than the actual suicide. They wanted to all be the same. So, and you would have your check partner. There was someone else in the cult who that you were not attracted to, and because sexuality was a no-no, that you would have to run everything past. And it was also their job to report you if you had thoughts that were like humans. So, everyone's wearing the same clothes. Everyone's eating the same every meal. They're having six-minute showers. They're going to bed at 10.56 or 9.56. Um, the same haircut. Same haircut, uh, same size pancakes, same height of flame to cook the pancakes over, same everything. And so if you weren't evolving, you'd get left behind. Mm. So even then it's not a test of your loyalty but you're still being being tested mm. and you can see that in relationships and companies and is there another sign that you might be in a cult is and we mentioned this before is the consequences of of leaving yes and that's again it could be a conceptual thing only i.e. Uh, you're going to hell yes okay it, which is a fairly you know fairly common one well i mean it's very convenient, it's for, very convenient. for cult leaders yeah it could be a real threat that you've been lied to about. So the CIA are waiting in the jungle to shoot you. Um, they're going to come and steal your children, all sorts of things. Um, in Colonia Dignidad, which is one of the ho- most horrible cults ever. Cause it's the it's, Germans in Chile, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, so a Nazi, ex-Nazi pedophile is the leader. Uh, awful, awful, awful. That, it's just like you put... Bad. It's just a frappe of all the bad ingredients. That's as bad as it gets. Yeah. Um, Under Pinochet, so you can't really do much about it, can you? Yeah, and they were, Pinochet and, and Paul Schaefer, the leader, were mates, and Schaefer was better at torturing people than Pinochet's men because they were quite new, whereas Schaefer had been doing it for ages. So he sent... Pinochet sent people to Uncle Paul's torture camps. Oh, man. It was just awful. Um, but there were threats of, uh, of the, it's basically the idea, like, if you're in a situation and or you know someone who's in a situation where they, they're terrified to leave because they are afraid of, you know, either an, a, an imagined threat or, as you mentioned, a, you know, a lied-to threat mm. uh, or perhaps a real threat. We have your bank account details. We have your passport. Yep. We have your children. We have, you know, we will come for you. If you tell anybody about this, you can go anywhere in the world. We have people over the world who will find you. Mm. And there's tiny little punishments as well. If your day is filled with tiny little punishments, then it's there's no specific threat if you leave, but you can only imagine what, you know, if you accidentally make eye contact with someone of the opposite sex and you get a little bit of a beating, mm. then you just think, well, if I go anywhere near that barbed wire and German shepherd, I'm, they'll kill me. Mm. So, but not one of those people in Colonia Dignidad could say, I was threatened with death. It's just that you, they make an, envir- an environment that makes you sure that if you leave, you're fucked. It's just, it's incredible what you can do with people's minds with just, suggestion and consistency which sound like good things so we've talked a lot about what drives the kind of person that is preyed upon by the cult Mm. the kind of person that is 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 in the cult let's talk about the people that that run these things Mm. um 
is there a commonality in their upbringing? Is there a commonality in any kind of psychological profile among them? I think certainly psychological profile. Most people would agree that there's giant swathes of narcissistic personality disorder in there. And what is that? It's, I mean, anything, and I learned this through through the research, that when you put the word disorder after anything, that's when something gets obsessive and or violent and or harmful and or damaging to relationships. So anyone can be a narcissist. I mean, I I like banding that word around myself and it's, but it becomes a disorder when it's harmful. So narcissistic personality disorder, people with it generally are not wrong, will not be argued with, believe that they are legitimately superior and one. Shoko Asahara from Om Shinrikyo even believed that he had divine DNA, that his actual chromosomes were different to everybody else's. He's the guy that let off the sarin gas in the Japanese subway. Yes. Yes. And was found with his own personal pube museum. He kept a pube from everybody he slept with in a separate little glass jar and labelled them, which, I mean, you kind of have to respect that, but not anything else he did. Hey, before you leave, can I come here for one sec? Come here. No, this will just take me a moment. Take a moment. That's how you know that, that he was in a cult before the mid-90s. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know much about um, pubic uh, hair removal culture in uh, Japanese society, but I can imagine that. Oh, um, the porn's anything to go by. Yeah, anyway. Oh. I hear. Um, where was I going with So that? narcissistic personality disorder. Yeah, so you... And a lot of them do believe to some extent that they do have something to offer all these people and that they can save the world, but it's kind of a they've convinced themselves that. So there's nothing you can say or do to these people that will convince them that they're not on the right track or that they know better than you, therefore, yes, that's cute what you're saying, but no. And that... I mean, little bits of that might sound familiar to lots of people, but it's like anything, it's when you're on the, you know, the skinny edges of the bell curve that it becomes a problem. Do they get a high from recruiting people? Do they just, you mentioned like earlier in our conversation, you were talking about, um, you know, from a young age, they've learned how to manipulate people. They've learned that, you know, maybe adoration or or approval mm. is something that gives them ticks their clock, and so they learn how to do it in a very, very, very insidious way. Well, I like the exam. There's a really good example in David Koresh. I mean, partly he was born Vernon Howell, so the fact that he sort of changed his name to a more um, studly religious thing. Um, this is the Branch Davidians from yes, Waco, Texas. That's yeah. right. Um, and he wanted to be a rock star. So he even, you still see them come up on eBay every now and again, um, business cards uh, that he shopped around LA when he visited them and tried to get a record deal. So there's that kind of, and he wasn't good. Um, He was called names at school because he wasn't good at school, but he was incredible at memorising great tracts of the Bible and comparing them and juxtaposing them. So not necessarily school applicable skills, but 
certainly valued in the church and especially branches of Seventh-day Adventists, which this was. So rejected at school, not a great home life, um, named Vernon (laughs) and rejected as a musician. He's kind of a classic, I'll show them. And he made it a rule that uh, none of the other men could have sex and he would have sex with their lives. He had to make 24 people. It says so in the book of Revelation. So he became the stud god of of Mount Carmel. So that's a really, in hindsight, that's a really obvious I'll show them kind of guy. Yeah. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. But it starts with, surely, the cult leader is just the cult leader until he's got one very good friend and mm. then him and the very good friend get someone else and then there's three people and then there's four. Like, surely it just starts, it must start small. I can't go, okay, I guess I'm going to need a farm. Yeah. Um, okay, where am I going to find that? Well, a lot of the time they will could sort of pinch people that are already part of a, a church that they're involved with. Oh. So um, Vernon did that. David Koresh did that. Um, in fact, the... The previous leader of the Branch Davidians was way more fucked up than David Koresh and he challenged him. He was he felt like David Koresh was trying to yoink leadership. Um, so he, and I'm sorry, this is awful, um, so George Roden dug up a corpse that was buried in the Mount Carmel compound and it was of an 80-year-old woman and she'd been dead for 20 years and challenged David Koresh to a resurrection off. He said, whoever reanimates this corpse will be the rightful leader. So that was a great, I mean, David Koresh was lucky. He thought, this is a great platform. I'm going to say to everyone, this guy's nuts. Come with me. We're going to go and live rough for a while. We're going to get back to the pure thing. So he had a congregation there and he took a percentage of it because you just have to, you don't have to convince people from scratch that your way is better or the right way. You just have to go, see how things are. Let's make them just 10% better over here where I am. Yeah, right. So they're lazy. Yeah, yeah, okay. Hmm. Uh, and, and so when it, it starts this cycle of um, we mentioned earlier in our conversation uh, lying hmm. and we were talking about having to keep believing the lies, 
uh, when once you start enrolling other people in these lies, that kind of takes the pressure off you, mm. I guess, because now a lie repeated by another person and another person, now it's a truth, now it's an agreed-upon story, now yep. it's a reality. Okay, and fine. you get to remove yourself as well, and which makes you seem more exclusive mm. and godlike. So um, uh, in the Rajneeshis, Osho was silent. He took a vow of silence for four years and let Sheila, who is an awful, horrible, horrible person, but you have to admire her work ethic, she took over and so she could say, Osho said this, Osho said that. Apologies for the similarity in That's name. right. People confuse uh, yeah. him quite a bit. <laughs> yeah, I'm certain that's true. It's the beard. Um, and... David Berg, the head of Children of God, decided that he would stop preaching and start distributing his doctrines via illustrated newsletters and comics for the kiddies but that still had boobs in them. It was very messed up. But So you can do that as well. Once you've got a few, then you get your deputies and they're doing God's bidding, but you get to be up on the mountain. Yeah, and people kind of calmly forget that you're the one that told them the thing that they now preach as truth. Yeah. And, and you get to go, oh, is it? Mm. Oh, well, I guess it is. I will forget that a year ago I told that person that thing and made them believe it to, yeah. be, to be true. Yeah. Um, and Berg was a good example as well because he put wherever he a picture of him was included in the newsletters or comics, which were called Mo Letters, they gave him a lion's face rather than his own face. Uh-huh. So it's just, yeah, make me a lion. That'd be cool. And then everyone was like, oh, well, he's this magical god just because right. he's got a lion's face. God, look, I remember in... In Brisbane, and in a time before the internet, I remember there were people on the street handing out pamphlets and stuff. They were well and truly trying to, you know, they were sent out by whoever was out in the suburbs, you know. Oh, and I was, you know, what, 16, wandering around, wearing all black in the summertime, mm, mm. you know. Yeah, so I was pretty. Yeah, yeah. I, was, I was well well placed. I always, I, I always had a great amount of sympathy for my, like, co-wearers of black in the tropics? Yeah, it's tough. Like, oh, that would be hard. Man, occasionally in Brazil you'd see someone in a full trench coat trying real hard to get that look. Yeah. It's like, man, it's 36 uh, degrees today. See, in French as far as we didn't have to try very hard. Yeah, right. <laughs> uh, but, you know, but again, again, it's like clearly you're you're dressing differently. You are already on the outer mm. here. Have this here. Look at this little there. Look, see? Look, man. Look, you know, there's plenty of people that understand you. Yep. Yeah, yeah. And there's tools like... and. I mean, I'll use this as, an, as a relevant example. So things like yoga and veganism and things are great tools at their disposal as well because they know people are passionate about those things. It already feels a little bit alternative but virtuous and they have philosophies mixed in that you can twist a bit to make it sound like a sermon almost. Yeah. And I, I mean, I love yoga and that's one of my tools for maintaining equilibrium and calming down and I get into that habit so that when I'm good I'm doing yoga when I'm having a bit of a wobbly it's part of my my personal religion so I know that that's going to calm me down it'll make me feel good it'll make me feel home so there's loads of cults that have used yoga or meditation or an organic like they grow their own organic vegan food because they know that people get uh, zealous about that sort of thing and it's quite because the language is so often 
comparable to religious language or that feeling of you belong to a group that really believes that this is the right way, often those things are tools. Right. And it's definitely, I can so see that in the veganism mm. thing mm. because I, I've, not, I've eaten plants since like 2002. So like it's been nearly 20 years. Mm. And along the way, you definitely get this idea of there are some aspects of people who choose to eat this way who it's just, oh, you know, there was a great Jay and Lindsay from Frenzel Rom mm. used to have a band called the Self Righteous Brothers. Mm. And um, I can't pay them any money for the song I'm about to <laughs> sing. Um, but they had, to, they had a song. Better than you, I'm so much better than you. <laughs> I'll ride upon my high horse until you see the truth. You know, I don't smoke and I don't drink. And there's one thing I wish, ooh, that no one would drink beer or vodka filtered through fish. <laughs> yeah, so it's it's definitely, I get that. Yeah. I get that. Like you're already, there's there's ways to get into eating only plants. But Definitely, there are people. Um, you know. And it's usually new converts yes. are the most pious. Yes. Uh, Look so how much better I am because I'm not killing an animal. Yeah. I can smell cooking live things. That thing had a heart and a mother. Mm. You're a horrible person. I'm better. And they, so you're already there. You're already distancing yourself from others' behaviours. And oh, here's another person like me. Aren't we so special? We are. Do you want some lentils? Yes, I do. <laughs> and it's. I'll use, only because it's another relevant example for you and close to home for me, my bloke is a mad cyclist and he lives in Melbourne because I like unconventional relationships, but he's coming up to Sydney in a couple of weeks and he's like, I think I'll, I think I'll bring my bike. It's like, we have bikes here. You can, if you want to get around, you can... Rent one, borrow one. I've got friends with bikes. I know you're making the face. It's not like that. Jane. I know. It's I not know. like that. It's because. not like that. It's like it's like you saying, "I'm coming down to Melbourne to visit you, um, but I need to bring a suitcase full of clothes." We have clothes here. <laughs> we have clothes here. I can it's give you, like but it's my clothes. But they I don't me. have to buy a special box and pay extra to bring clothes to Melbourne. His bike has been fit to his body. That's the thing. Bicycles have been fit Look, to your body. I understand that, but it's also. Just for a few days, maybe deal. See, this is what this is my point. Yeah, cycling evangelist. Yeah, and I get it a lot of the time. Yeah. And that's but that's the thing. People think that you know people who speak often and openly about how drivers don't respect cyclists. People are like, stop preaching to me. It's like it's not. It's just simple. Mm. Let's make sure everyone's safe, and you can you remember that there's other people on the road that aren't in big cars. Yeah, but. Anything can sound like preaching or you can make anything sound like a good mm. exclusive religion. Yeah, yeah. It's interesting that you talk about the the uh, the veganism and the yoga as a, as a pathway in. I definitely, certainly, uh, it's happened a few times in your city, but certainly when I live in Los Angeles, mm. you'd be there in Savasana at the end of the session and um, then the yoga teacher would start be like ripping into this and let's just remember that as we go into our day, that you have been chosen to be at this class. You and those around you have chosen to accept a higher vibration of life. And that That's the bit, you can, half asleep. In you can go through your day knowing that you've made a choice that elevates you and all of a sudden you're like, yeah, that's right, I'm better than you motherfuckers. The, my, I don't think it was ever going to happen to me the first when I first got into yoga because my yoga teacher was a Kiwi and it was delightful because – 
everything was in an accent. And yes. she said, and just, okay, just tighten up around your perineum. And it was like, oh, I don't know how to do that, but I just want you to say it forever. Oh, it was, I, my strong recommendation <laughs> is to get a, a yoga teacher with a good accent. And if I'm not mistaken, there was, a, there was an Australian cult that used a lot of yoga as a, as a way in, wasn't there? Yes, the family, but it was mixed with LSD. Ah. So. Now, now bear in mind, this isn't the, the Adelaide crime family, family, is it? No, this right. is. Are you aware of that one? Yes. Yeah, it's a different one. Yeah, and they were based in Melbourne. Uh-huh. And they, it was a, it was partly timing. So Anne Hamilton Byrne, the leader, was a social climber, and she she's now ninety eight, and uh, in a nursing home, and so she can't really be tried for anything because she's not reliable. Mm. But the fact that she isn't dead yet make maybe makes her claims that she's Jesus true. We're not sure. We'll see how that ends up. <laughs> But she became a yoga instructor to well-to-do ladies uh-huh. in Melbourne and she also made some important friends. So there was Raynor Johnson who was an academic, a British academic who uh, taught at the University of Melbourne and so he introduced her to lots of other socialites. And at the time, so everyone's into the well-to-do ladies uh, in the 60s and 70s were into Eastern mysticism and everyone had, you know, a satay and a bit of yoga or... Um, so this is mid-70s? Late 60s, late 60s. early 70s. All right, so, like, right, this is just fairly new. Yoga in Western society is fairly new. Yes, okay. yeah, around, so, but, yeah, there's still curly parsley around, mm. but yoga's good. And it was also a time where uh, sort of pre-LSD becoming illegal and it being used as a therapeutic tool for addicts and severely depressed people because mm-hmm. it engenders that sense of family and closeness and people are more open to suggestions so that you can often make more breakthroughs with therapy and that sort of thing. So Anne made friends also with hospital administrators and she wanted to have the perfect Sound of Music family. So all these things meant that she would go to these hospitals and any unfit mothers, so young mothers who had problems with depression or alcoholism, she would fraudulently adopt their children because they were unfit. So therefore she'd get the the nod that there was a suitable mother in there. Well, so she'd walk into the hospital and go, well, clearly this 17-year-old single girl can't have this kid, but look at me, I'm... She recruited within the hospital so that they would say to her, get on the blower and go, hey, Anne... There's uh, yeah, a severely depressed pregnant woman here. It's like, great, draw up the paperwork because laws were also not as well developed and fair now Whoa. for young mothers. But she'd also pop in when her members were undergoing LSD therapy and it wouldn't always be because they, were, um, they had mental health problems. Sometimes she would just make them go through it. Pop in and suggest very strongly that she was Jesus and... So while it's an acceptable therapy, she knows that she can just suggest a few things. So yoga to get them in and then LSD to get them believing she's the Messiah. And then it's the thing we talked about before of like, well, it's a test of loyalty. Well, you'll do this thing. Mm. 
uh-huh yeah right you'll give me the call when the baby's here or you know and so she she recruited like she eventually got i don't know how many kids were there 20 something there were i think there were the number that went through the Lake Eildon property, which was called Uptop, and that sounds a lot jollier than it was, uh, was in the in the 20s, but there were only 14 that she, that were her children. Oh, good Lord. Yeah. And one, of the, one biological child and the rest, sometimes the members would just give them her, they give them their own children. Other times it was, and it, she's only ever been convicted of adoption fraud. Because a lot of the other stuff, it's just too hard to prove when you've got, you know, children that were hungry a lot of the time and who were also given drugs to calm them down or drugs to be initiated once they were teenagers. And these kids all believed that she was their actual mother, didn't yes, they? Yes. So when they left and child services got them out at one point, but they partly had to come to, the, come to terms with this whole new lifestyle that wasn't regimented, didn't involve three lots of yoga and meditation and harsh punishment every day, tiny, two bowls of vegetables a day. But they also had to realise that their brothers and sisters weren't their brothers and sisters, their parents weren't their parents, uh, and their names weren't their names. And it just... Unfortunately, those people make unreliable witnesses... Mm. And it was so far after the fact in a lot of the of cases that they couldn't convict this horrible old lady that's now wasting away in a retirement home. Did you talk to any cult survivors? I didn't, and that's partly... It was a conscious decision because my go-to is humour and that's how I deal with things and that's how I send ridicule up the line, but I always make sure I'm not ridiculing the followers. I was worried that my writing would cheapen their experience. And until until I got the writing right, I didn't feel like I'd be doing anyone a favour. So it was kind of a, I, I take the piss out of the leaders and I don't want that to be construed by anyone mm. as me ridiculing the cult followers. Yeah. And I don't, yeah, I didn't want to cheapen it. And I think I made a realistic no, and that's fair enough. No, yeah. no, and that, that, that's 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 fair enough. I mean, I'm I want sure that to be aware, and it's yeah. even though my you know decision to write a book about it or do the podcast wasn't a, an altruistic yeah. decision. I do know that there's a responsibility when you're writing about these sorts of things to know that people learn from them, hmm. and going into even the weirdest details um, that I find funny and laugh at. I'm doing so because it's kind of look how far this sort of thing can go. People mm. can believe that stuff, but I know it's fraught. How how do people cope? Can people cope once they're out of a cult? I think a lot of what I've seen people do is talk about it and talk about it publicly. Some don't. There's many, many examples of people not coping and a lot of ex-members, particularly of the larger cults, will really clump together and face non-cult life with the support of people who understand. And I think a lot of them talk about it publicly partly as a warning and partly because they can. It might... I have no you know, evidence, but it might be a fuck you to the leader. Yeah. You're exposed. Even if they're dead, you feel... Yeah. I th it seems to me like they feel good... 
are announcing that they don't have power over them anymore. But surely, like, I mean, knowing I don't know too much about how the brain works, but I've done a lot of work on mm. figuring out how neural pathways are formed and recognizing a trigger for a trigger and like, oh, that's an old behavior that was burned into my brain when mm. I was very ill and I was very susceptible to, you know, a, a weird thought. And then when that trigger shows up, in the same way that when you, you know, rent a European car in another state, you're suddenly turning on the windshield wipers when you want to indicate. Yeah. It's just an, uh, an automatic behaviour that yeah. shows up. Surely years later they're still doing things. Oh, 7.57, time for my whipping. Yeah. Surely they've still got ghosts just in their in You their would bodies. think so. And that's why the frustration with cults is the intangible stuff that they do that you can't, point at and go that's a crime lock them up mm. um and things that i mean if you think oh someone how cute it's seven fifty-seven, and it's time they think it's time for their whipping doesn't acknowledge the trauma that would happen in your head if that was something that happened every day even though you're free of it mm. and people often feel ashamed that they've Believed in things. Stand by. Mm. Sorry about that. Yeah, no worries. No, you can't say hi to this guy, Frank. He's a posty. <laughs> good boy. Yeah, <gasps> you're so well trained, Frankie. He's a good little kid. Though. Um. Hey, buddy. Yeah. Oh, super excited when the bell rings because it's either it's a podcast guest or it's someone someone new to come and lick and and play. <laughs> I am. Um, I did scripts for the voiceovers for a show called Puppy Academy, which yeah. is just a Saturday afternoon Channel 7 thing about training puppies, and it was set at PetSmart, so it was all brand fun. Oh, yeah, brilliant. But they didn't think it was interesting and entertaining enough, so they thought we need to have the dogs... Have voices. We need to know what they're thinking during the training. And um, who's funny and probably knows how dogs... Th Thornley. <laughs> um, but it was great watching all these training videos, and they were amazing, and it was really, really good good practice and him you just telling Frankie mm. and him really just mm. knowing that that's where he sits yeah um reminded me there was a cavoodle and they said we want to make him the Ralph Wiggum of the puppies in my brief in the states animal planet every year when they run the super bowl they have the puppy bowl so if you don't want to watch the super bowl you can flick <laughs> over and it's it's a small you know Include. pretend american granite uh, field and they just put heaps of toys out there and there's a and they have commentators oh it's, yes it's literally it's four hours of puppies playing it's so fucking good are you across the bear cams the um brooks falls alaskan bear cams uh no every year when at uh, salmon spawning season oh okay there's live webcams set on brooks falls in alaska so the bears come out and yeah they're hungry i've been doing it for four or five years just having it on in a little window in my yeah. work computer and you watch these bears that I now recognise come out each season and catch salmon and um, there'll be cubs and stuff and the, the same organisation explore.org do a um, throughout the year they'll have a puppy cam and things uh, but this is happening in real time so cool and it's oh it's amazing so they, but they they're not they will kill you dead Oh, yeah. Revenant style. I reckon I yeah. always rate animals where the cuteness to... Deadliness. Deadliness yeah. ratio. And I think polar bears are right up there. Oh, yeah. Do you know my favourite fact about polar bears? Do you know how a polar bear camouflages itself? No. 
What's the only part of the polar bear that's not white? His nose. Tip of his nose. Oh, shush. Picks up the front paw, holds it in front of his face when stalking a seal. Don't even. And then comes down. And if you've ever seen a polar bear after it's killed a baby seal, it's bloody. Yeah. yeah. Right. But it's it's like on three paws. Doopy-doo holding a paw in front of its face because its nose is black. See, they would make great cult leaders because they just all they would have to do is go hug and every, no person alive, if they thought of hugging a polar bear was safe, would refuse. So, we're, sorry, before the uh, yeah. postman showed up, we were talking about life on the other side of mm. of cults and um, we're, there's such a thing that I'm sure people have heard, but deprogramming. Is mm. deprogramming just a form of debriefing, a form of psychological therapy? I think to believe that deprogramming can happen, you have to believe that brainwashing is a thing, and my jury is still out on both of those. But in theory, deprogramming is reversing brainwashing and making you believe again in the things that everyone outside believes. Depending on what the doctrine of the cult is like, often the low success rate of deprogramming is often due to the fact that people in the cult have already told you that other people will try to convince you that they're wrong. They're going to say this. They're going to say that. So when they do say this and that or try and make you believe the stuff they told you, then it's going to reinforce your belief that the cult leader was right. The fake he news said play. they would try and yeah. get me out. He said they would do this. They told me and if, now I was, they're doing if I was ever in a van and then taken to a motel that this will be a test. That's their technique. Yeah, it's a test. Yeah. Whatever. They, and so it often reinforces. Wow. And so they go back because they just go, oh, I didn't believe before, but now I do. They predicted exactly what was going to happen to me it's and what was insidious. said. It's insidious. Yeah. The kind of cults that you, you spoke about and researched were very much physical bricks and mortar, mm. all right? Are there are we seeing cults developing around um, like social engineering? Like say, for example, uh, you hear stories of people, you know, getting hacked and their emails read and then, um, you know, they get made to believe that, you know, there's some incredible connection between two people because they've managed to predict mm. whatever, but all they're doing is reading your emails or, you know, have access to your metadata. And is, is there, like, any kind of online manipulation of people? That's in a-, a great idea, and I think you've just put yourself out as a candidate, a scary candidate for a possible future cult leader. You just came up with that. No, we, no we've yeah. said it. Like, in, like say, for yeah. example, you, you, you see it quite in the in the TV show Mr. Robot. You see him do it. You see him manipulate someone to do something by reading their emails and then, you know, letting them know that, you know, you know something's going on. And, and that's how – and Dirty John does the same thing. I think the non-bricks-and-mortar cults that I think are going to be in the next wave, something to look forward to, are uh, – very much couched in the conspiracy theory community. If you take Flat Earthers, for example, did you watch Behind the Curve on Netflix? No, I did not. Great, because it, it's quite a balanced view of what makes Flat Earthers tick and it listens to them and it, it's quite respectful, even though you do walk away going, Whoa. So if you take Flat Earth, for example, there's a community there that are already self-isolating. They've already done the us and them stuff because they're the kind of people that do stare at a screen for a long time and do deep dives and they already believe that people are lying to them. So they're quite easy to scoop up 
you don't need a compound because these people are already often keeping themselves within the confines of a community they found. And so it wouldn't take much, like how we discussed before, you take an existing doctrine and then you just add a garnish or you just make a little trail off it to say, okay, that plus this. So certain internet communities are prime and particularly the conspiracy theory community. Mm. They're ready. Yeah. But to make any kind of, I guess you do see it every now and again, unfortunately after a mass shooting, you'll see a guy leave a manifesto behind mm. and, you know, quote some sort of online group that they're a part of. So this stuff does, is starting to happen. Well, using that example as well, the people that believe that all the other students are actors that were hired by the government Oh, to, like the Sandy Hook yeah. thing? Oh, that's full, full on, that shit. But it's these people that won't, they are already indoctrinated yeah. and they won't believe, they they don't use Occam's razor, they do believe. No, that, no, that was a false flag. The all, government hired it and they're doing it to take my guns away. Yeah, yeah. they'd 100%. much rather believe the complicated thing, which means if you introduce a ridiculously complicated theory that goes along with their beliefs, they'll go, yep, fine. And it's not because anyone's gullible and it's not because people are stupid or haven't read widely. And these people do much, much mm. more self-driven research than you or I did about something legitimate. It's that they happily, their whole community cherry picks information so much that it becomes truth and it mm. becomes their truth. And so I think that's why it's really, really hard why, why cults and conspiracy theories will continue because saying that they're wrong proves them right. People are probably listening to this going, that's all very well and good for you, Joe Thornley. <laughs> I'm too smart to ever be taken in by a cult. Okay. If – I don't know what you're like with your phone, but I know what I'm like with my phone. And there's – I know lots of people who spend more time than me on their phone, but – I still, you know, I'm up there. And if for whatever reason someone said, you can't use your phone anymore, I would panic a bit because that's how I stay in touch with the world, feel part of the world. I'm here because it, the whole thing was organised via the phone. You were aware of me because of digital technology, because of social media and that sort of thing. So if they said, we're going to take it away or you can have it back, but every two weeks we're going to slap you in the face. I guarantee you I would take that slap. I mean, this is an imaginary scenario, but I just would. And there's lots of intelligent people that would also do that. They're like, regardless of the reason someone's saying that to you, you would accept that. And if they were gradual enough, they might go, okay, 12 days out of every fortnight you get your phone and it's a slap one week and a punch in the guts the next. You'd hesitate but the alternative is not having your phone not being connected to a group you need and you believe you couldn't live without even though of course we can survive without phones so if it's something that you've already connected to and then they add the garnish and they might increase the punishments and they make you fearful of what else there is then you can get hooked you can get hooked in. And we're already all 
intelligent or not, mm. hooked into some things where someone else could just tweak it a little bit and we would gradually go with the flow. It's interesting uh, because you speak about phones and online influence and the author Yuval Noah Harari, author and historian Yuval Noah Harari, right? So never before have we been more hackable and so willing to be hacked. Mm. And you're absolutely right. All you really need to do is have Instagram slash Facebook slash Google just tweak what the algorithms that we're looking at to start influencing our behaviours. Yep. And then before you know it, I really want to wear hypercolour again. <laughs> you know? All I see is hypercolour. God, I hope all, someone does All that. the people that I... But, you know, that's that's all it would take. Yep. It wouldn't take much. And then slowly, slowly, bit by bit, because as you're describing, it's it's not, you know, you're walking down the street one day working at the, you know, mobile phone shop and then the next you're living in a compound somewhere, mm. you know, being complicit in an execution. Uh, it happened over a course of weeks and months and years. Yeah. And I know how Facebook and Google gathers my information and I've, you know, gone, meh. Yeah. I'm complicit. What can we watch out for? What do we watch out for? How do we, how do we make sure we don't cross that line? I, I ask myself that a lot. And one of the things that's just the most important in everything is to try and understand a minimum of two sides of the story. I... I wish I could remember the name of the podcast, but I listened to a podcast episode. It might have been Reply All. And they did a a story where they spoke to Trump supporters and understood how they voted. And not just the dyed-in-the-wool, hardcore, red-cap-wearing ones. Normal people who you wouldn't be able to pick on the street as a Trump supporter and ask them why they voted. And every single reason made sense to their lives and you can understand it and I understand why people believe in flat earth and you understand why people fall down when the pastor when pastor Pete puts his hand on your forehead and only believing things from one source and rejecting information from other sources we all do it I you know if you pick any two newspapers Everybody in Australia is going to go, I'm going to believe that newspaper over that newspaper and they won't be swayed. Understanding, not ridiculing the opposite point of view but trying to figure out why they think that way, I think we keep ourselves safe from being indoctrinated because it is, it's doctrine and trusting where it comes from. And... I just, I spent a long time, especially because I'm, you know, this zero tolerance sceptic for anything hoopy. I don't, I have to know that proper credentialed experts have looked at it first, whatever it is, health, belief, everything. And I got into the habit for a long time, and I see a lot of sceptical people doing it, of ridiculing the people that did believe and there is nothing good that can come from that at all. Obviously, people have beliefs. Obviously, it's safest for everyone if we keep them somewhere in the middle because the fringes are dangerous. They're important, but they're dangerous. So I think it's where you get an us and them. It's like people have different beliefs, but understanding in every way is super important. You 
you don't have to believe or agree, but what is the point of ridiculing it or so, or calling the people that do believe it wrong or stupid? Which happens in a comment section online. Yeah. And I haven't broken the habit completely and yeah. I'll freely admit that, but once I realised that that's what I and a lot of fellow sceptics were doing, I just thought, yeah, I don't want to, that's not ever going to be useful or helpful. Yeah, I, I, I get it. and Because the, the, it's easy to ridicule an anti-vaxxer. Yeah. And, I'm, you know, I was a reality show recapper. Yeah. It's a habit. It's easy to ridicule someone who's an anti-vaxxer. But I get what you're saying mm. is that because my question was how do, you, how do you protect yourself from this stuff? If you find yourself in an us and them black and white space, mm. you are increasing your vulnerability to manipulation. Yes. Right. And that's why the people that I will ridicule are the people that exploit that characteristic in humans for power, sex or money. Ah. We didn't get anywhere, go anywhere near the sex cult stuff because that is like, that's a whole other world. I'm so glad that you came over because as soon as I saw that you wrote this book, I'm like, I'm all over that shit because I'm fascinated. I'm fascinated by by manipulation and human manipulation Mm. and you know, I, I I tell this story. My director Bernie Zelvis, um, when we were doing those Channel V big Channel V live shows back in the mm. early two thousands, we'd sometimes have two thousand kids in front of us, and we were bare bones. We might have had five security. Like shit could have gone. Wow. Yeah. We were all off the back of the big day out where the, um, the young lady Jessica Mickler had passed away. We were all very afraid. All right, something could go badly wrong, and mm. we we're in the middle of a field in Dubbo. All right, this could be bad. I remember my director saying to me, "Mate, if you tell you're on the microphone." If you tell them to dance, they'll dance. If you tell them to riot, they'll riot. People just need permission to behave. Mm. And that's always stuck with me. Yeah. It's always stuck with me. And I'm fascinated by control of large groups of people, not just yeah. like one or two, because that is insidious in itself and people get trapped in horrible relationships and situations and, you know, find themselves in awful kinds of trouble. But on a grand scale... Yeah, there's that different dynamic. It's extraordinary. Like entire countries, as we saw in Europe in the 30s, entire countries who knew it was not a good idea to do this stuff but just went along with it because everybody else was doing it. Yep. I was just following orders, sir. And there's that... From the one-on-one, so in some dysfunctional relationships, right through to the massive hive mind, there's always the question, well, why didn't you just walk away? And it's never a simple answer to that. It's never. That's, that's where the crux is, the answer to why didn't you just walk away? And it's never just, it's never a simple answer. Book two. Book two is, if there is one, it's going to be about lying. It's got to, I can't, I've. I'm excited to ask and I will that I do want to make it whatever the next yeah. project is. I want to talk to people who have conducted lie detector tests, to people who have cheated on their partners if I can get any of them to be honest. It's fine, I'm not scarred. Uh, and you know, if anyone's been part of some faith healing uh. or some stage psychics maybe, just the mechanics of believing stuff that you can't prove is true is, oh, I, I'm really excited about spending a lot of time looking into that. We had a guy on Batch last year who was as uh, ASIO or something trained, like full-on <sighs> heavy-duty micro-expression guy. Mm. Fascinating. Couldn't hide a thing from him. Yeah. He, you know, 
I look at you, I see two eyes and nose and mouth, a smile, and, you know, you're happy to be here as far as I can tell. Yeah. He could ask you a question, put one word in there, watch a particular part of your face for a response that you can't control and know exactly what the fuck's going on. I, on that, I'm an identical twin. I get to do the joke. She's really pretty. But if we were worse people and we decided to use that to manipulate and trick people... Because people say, yeah, we look like twins and then they see us in – they'll say, say that in the photograph and then they'll see us in real life and it's the facial expressions, the way we move our hands, where they just go, oh, my God. And so that – it's no longer ethical to conduct experiments on twins, but I think that lying and, manip- and manipulation, if you used tiny little differences in how that guy watching what your eyes or nose do when you lie – I want someone to look at Shelley and me and do and see if they could pick which one of us was lying when we've got exactly exactly the same face and expressions. If that's not the opening chapter of the book, because <laughs> you're both grown adults, you can yeah. both participate in this. You could film it. You could that'd be great. Mm, mm. You know, it's it's an n of one. You know, it's it's not a it's yeah. not a scientific experiment, but it's interesting. But it's interesting. It's interesting. Yeah. And um, if you're both willing to participate, I think <laughs> I'd be I'd read that. Hook me up. <laughs> yeah. Thanks so much for coming around. Oh, thanks. That was cool. I could talk to you about this shit for ages. Yeah. Well, I cheated with the book because it was like, what's the topic? I I started researching cults because I was on a radio, like an FBI radio show called Versus where the host picks a topic, Eddie Sharp, and the guest picks a topic and the listeners text in to say whose topic was the most interesting. And I just went, what's something that absolutely everyone finds interesting? And it was cults. So I just, I was cheating by doing a, writing a book about it. Because we all like to believe that we'd be too smart for it. But it's absolutely not the case. No. No, no, you just have to be. Thanks for your uh, thanks for your tips on how to stay out of it. Yeah, <laughs> they're not foolproof. <laughs> I'm going to take your photo, all right? Yeah, yeah. Cool, cool. Yeah. That was Joe Thornley. You can find her on Twitter, J-O-T-H-O-R-N-L-E-Y. Her book is called Zealot. Get it wherever you buy books. Her podcast is called Zealot. Get it wherever you get podcasts. If you found this show useful or worth your time, please head on over to iTunes, rate, review, and subscribe to the show or tell a friend. Just simply tell a friend, show them how to download the show. That really, really helps us here. Uh, If you like this chat, there's 280 other podcasts that you can listen to. Uh, just explore the back catalogue. It's all at osherginsberg.com. It's all up there now and it's all free. Thank you very much for listening today. Thanks to everyone that helped make the show what it is today. Andy Ma, my audio producer, Mike Mills, also known as Toe Hider, who made all the music for the show, and Rachel Barrett, my extraordinary producer. Thank you so much for listening. If you have any questions uh, for me on Friday, just DM me on Instagram or send osher email at gmail.com. I'll talk to you in a couple of days. Until we speak next time, sleep well and dream of beautiful things. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. 
Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Mm. 